Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to 1 Kings and Job 32. 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings 18 and Job 32. I want to talk to you tonight about when to give your opinion. When to give your opinion. And it may surprise you. It's not, the answer is not never. And the answer is also, most importantly, not always. But there's a time to give your opinion. And uh, the Lord has, has just highlighted this for me in the Scripture. And I believe that it could be a great help to the church going forward. It could be help to you personally. And it's, it's very clear. It's, it's very clear and very helpful. Uh, when you do not follow this scriptural injunction you stand to hurt a lot of people. You, but it's okay because it feels so good. It's okay to give your opinion even if it hurts people because it feels so good. And the, and the problem is it causes a lot, a lot of damage and destruction. It can. I want to show you the scriptural definition of the word opinion in 1 Kings 18. How we learn the Bible is we define the words of the Bible, and as we understand the words of the Bible, it sinks into our heart. The Bible is likened to a seed. The soil has to be prepared, and one way you can prepare that soil is to understand the words. If you read your Bible and you don't understand the words, you're doing it wrong. Now, I didn't say you could understand the passage and, and, and have a broad grasp of all that's going on. You don't have to worry about that. That will come in time. But one thing you do have in your uh, wheelhouse, something you can do, things I can do. Number one, I can define words. And I'll give you what I use. I use uh, the etymological online dictionary. I use that all the time. A second one would be the the Oxford English Dictionary. That's a good one. Uh, the 1828 dictionary is a good dictionary, uh, but it is, and it was intended to be, an American dictionary. Uh, the King James Bible is not an American Bible. It is an English Bible. And so when we study that, we've got to keep that in mind. It doesn't mean that 1828 is not good. It just means that it's going to Americanize. It uses the words in an American fashion. And what I like about the 1828 is that it has Scripture in there, but you've got to keep in mind that it's not inspired. You follow what I'm saying? What words are inspired? These words are inspired. So we, we, we study these words and we define these words the best that we possibly can. And as you do that, as you do that, by the way, that if, if you read your Bible on your phone, that's okay, except if you don't have a place to keep notes, you won't come back to that place again. You follow what I'm saying? When you're reading through, you won't have that in the margin. And that's why I like a physical book. Now, some use your iPad or something like that. And if you can do that, great. But that's one reason why we are supposed to study to show ourselves approved. That's one reason why a physical medium can be very helpful. Now, if you have a tablet or an iPad or something that allows you to take notes, and when you come back to that, you can see that note again, great. But if you're like me, I'm just rolling through. I've got so many files, so many things that I can pull up off my computer or out of my physical filing cabinet, but I'm not going to. Why? Because I'm sitting here reading my Bible. 
It's too much work. So I try to make it easier by putting it right down there where as I read the Bible, I'm seeing it again and again and again. And what's interesting is, as you define, as you define the words, then you come back around and you're, you remember it again. And for me, it's like the 19th or 20th time I start to remember what the word means. And this is how we study our Bible. First, define the words. If you do not define the words, you will not be able to understand the Bible. Why? Because... You, Worse than not defining a word is when you think you understand what a word means. And then you can get into a lot of problems. Uh, heresies are started for that, uh, by that. Now, 1 Kings chapter 18, we're not going to talk about the whole story, but we are going to look at the word opinion. It says in verse 21, 1821, this is the prophets of Baal, the great showdown. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And notice, and the people answered him not a word. The word opinion has come to mean a hunch, a guess, a feeling, a hot take, a shoot from the hip thought. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I'll give my opinion. It's really not the definition of the word, okay? Let me tell you what they say. This is what they say that opinion means. A judgment formed or a conclusion reached, especially one based on evidence that does not produce knowledge or certainty. You see, what we've said is uh, that we know that opinion is not necessarily exactly certainty. I'm not really sure, but I have an opinion. Now, that's legitimate. That's okay. In fact... Uh, an, an opinion is something that is not necessarily guaranteed absolute fact. It is my take. But going beyond that, what it is, it's, it is a choice. An opinion comes from a root word to choose, which is where we get the word option. The option, the opinion, those are related words. So when you see opinion, it's, it, you're saying, this is my choice. And you can see that in the verse. How long halt ye between two opinions? The Lord could have used the word choices, but he used the word opinions. And I think it's very important that he did, because isn't it true that opinion means something vastly different today? It just means what I think. Have you thought about it before? No, but I'm thinking about it now, and this is my opinion. Have you studied it? Have you looked into it? No, but I have an opinion. <laughs> you really can't make a good choice if you don't have any information. Here, God is telling, uh, Elijah's telling the people, you need to make a choice between God or Baal. Now, the message is not that, but the understanding of opinion is here in the passage helps us to understand what that word means. Now let's go over to Job chapter 32. If you've been reading Walk by the Word, you've just recently come through Job, and it's a beautiful picture. Um, it's a great instruction to us uh, of a Jew going through the tribulation, 42 months in the tribulation, 42 chapters in Job, and we see how God miraculously uh, preserves him even through the worst possible suffering that he could endure. There are three men that show up. Someone said, why, why couldn't Job get a good night's sleep? 
because he had miserable comforters. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that's terrible. It's terrible. That's like a Todd Entman kind of a thing right there. <laughs> so he had miserable comforters, and that's what he called them. He said, miserable comforters are y'all. And, uh, and the reason, the reason is because they did not get it right. You'll find where every, every man, those three friends, had a chapter of their own to speak. And all of them got it wrong. Look at Job 32. So these three men ceased to answer Job. God tells you, God tells you some of the difficulties here. Gives us some answers after 32 chapters here, 31. These three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. The Holy Spirit tells us what the problem was with Job. Verse 2, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the kindred of Ram. Don't get a Buzzite mad. I'm telling you. He was, he was upset. And against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. That's not what Elihu thought. That's what the Holy Spirit said. How do we know that? His wrath was kindled because he justified himself rather than God, and he hasn't said a thing yet. He hasn't spoken. So we know that it is, be, it is the Holy Spirit that's telling us here that Job had a problem, but, but Job's friends also had a problem. Verse number three, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. The first point tonight is this. If you don't have an answer, you don't have to have an opinion. It is not required for you to voice your opinion. These men went so far to condemn Job even though they did not know. You know what the Bible is saying? What the Holy Spirit is telling us? These guys were pontificating. They, they were standing up just letting her fly. It sounded like, an, like an, a masterpiece. I mean, they were well-spoken, were they not? They had no idea. They were shooting in the dark. And they sounded really good while they did it. Does that ever... Do you ever find that to be true? You know, some of us, uh, we grew up talking a lot. And I don't know if you're like me, I'm more of a verbal processor. I find out what I think by talking about it. And that's not necessarily a good thing, it's just the way it is. Some people are better or are more apt to talk. It flows out of their mouth. What does that mean? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. If you, if you can get on the phone, like you like to talk to people, and you just like to talk to them because they like to talk and you like to talk, be careful. You may be saying a whole bunch of stuff that sounds really, really good and is way off. He said here, they didn't have an answer, but that didn't stop them. That didn't stop them. They said, I'll tell you what's wrong with Job. Job's problem was over here. They turned their back on that, and they're talking about Job's problem being over there. They were blind. They were completely lost. So you have to be careful. When should you give your opinion? Well, first of all, you don't have to give your opinion. You don't have to comment. 
on the, on the post. You don't have to. It's not against the law to avoid commenting on a post. You know what you could do? You could just stay off social media. If, I mean, how many people have said, I was on social media and I can't be on it? Raise your hand. Look around. You see people? That's a good decision. Why? You've got to know yourself. And if you are a person that shoots from the hip, you should not get on social media. Here are these men. I just cannot fathom this. They condemned Job even though they didn't have an answer. You know why people do that? There's a statement. You ever heard this statement? Well, where there's smoke, there's fire. Number one, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes where there's smoke, there's a smoke machine. Hey, you know what happens sometimes? uh, Where there's smoke, there's arson. In fact, that's what Scripture tells us. Let's take our Bibles and go to uh, Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. Twenty-six, Proverbs twenty-six, twenty. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. Where there's smoke, there's gossip. Isn't that wild? People say, where there's smoke, there's fire, like it's somehow an absolute truth. It is an absolute truth, but they don't tell you that the person that's telling you where there's there's smoke, there's fire, is the one that's keeping the fire going through gossip. Look at verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. He's walking around setting fire to people's minds and hearts. He says in verse 22, the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Wounds. Now, let me ask you this. The talebearer, is he falling on the sword himself? No. Is he wounding himself? No. He's wounding other people. And you know why he keeps doing it with impunity? Because it doesn't hurt. And he thinks because it doesn't hurt him. She thinks because what she's saying and blabbing doesn't hurt her, that it doesn't hurt anyone. But the Bible tells us here that it hurts really deeply. It hurts other people in the innermost parts of the belly. You know why some people have a hard time being around others? Because somebody said something about them that went to their very soul and they've never been able to recover from it. And guess what? The person that said it, probably, they went out and got a, you know, a mocha frappe mate, whatever, and had a great day. They didn't have any problems whatsoever. Why? It didn't hurt them. Because when you're setting fire to something, it only is okay because you're not burning. If you were setting fire to yourself, you wouldn't be an arson. The Chinese said, a rumor goes in one ear and out of many mouths. 
there's something in us that feels power. There's power in words. And when I start speaking, I can feel influence and power. And when I have something that you don't know about, it makes me feel powerful. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It matters whether you don't know about it. If you don't know about it, and I do, I have power that you don't, even if that power is illegitimate. I want you to go to book of, the book of James. And I've got to find this. It's not in my notes. Sometimes I'm forced to search the scriptures without notes. It's terrible. Look, look, let's go to the book of James. And uh, let's see here. Verse, uh, chapter 3. Verse number 2. For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses. Where do we put them? In the mouths, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. That means if you can put a bit on your mouth, you can control your whole life. If you can control what you say, isn't that what he said? A powerful person can control himself or herself if he can control his mouth. And, and by the way, in our culture, this is the mouth too. Or this, this is the mouth. Okay, If you can control this, this, and this, you can control everything about your life. He says in verse number 3, behold, uh, four, behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. That means whichever way he wants. Who decides where the ship goes? The governor decides where the ship goes. How many tons is a ship? Hundreds of tons. Some cases, thousands of tons. And who decides where that gigantic vessel goes? Even some t- in some cases, into the wind. Especially with, en- with engines. Diesel, nuclear power. They can go into the wind. Why? Because that helm decides. What that tells us is our mouth can decide the direction we decide to go. Whether or not we want to, whether or not the culture says we should, whether everybody else is going that way, you don't have to follow what everyone else does. You can choose your direction. What a blessing. He says, verse number five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Man, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therefore, uh, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And he goes on to talk about how we must have uh, speech that brings glory to God. But I just can't get past this idea of the fire, the, the fire that our tongues produce. A destroying, destructive, damaging fire because of what we say. And you know why we say it? 
man, it feels good. It just feels good to say things that other people haven't heard. To wonder, to question, to pull things apart, to stretch it. They used to call it chewing the fat. Sitting around, we're not eating meat here. The the, the fat has no value whatsoever for us, but we're just going to sit around and chew on it. Why? Because it tastes good. I mentioned Cotton Mather this morning, and if you haven't uh, read much about him, he had some, had some good, good sermons, and he was a, a very influential figure. But there is a stain on Cotton Mather's uh, history and his story, his biography. And his stain was that he was influential in the Salem witch trials. He wrote a book called The Wonders of the Invisible World. And he, didn't, he, he was trying not to... That was uh, written in 1692 after the final executions. And uh, he, he tried not to have this, this, this bad spirit, prejudice, but, but he, he wrote about these things. Um, he, he, this is what he said about one of the accused witches named Bridget Bishop. He said, There was little occasion to prove witchcraft, it being evident and notorious to all beholders. Little occasion to prove. What he's saying is, it really wasn't necessary to prove witchcraft. Everybody could see she was a witch. Now, I'm just, I'm glad that that's not the way our judicial system is set up. Everybody knows. Everybody just knows. He he described Susanna Martin as one of the most impudent, scurrilous, wicked creatures in the world. And then listen to this. He condoned in that book the use of spectral evidence to convict the witches of the five cases that he outlined. Spectral evidence. I didn't know what it was either. You're not going to believe it. Spectral evidence is a witness, by a testimony by a witness, that the accused person, this girl's accused of being a witch, her spirit appeared to me in a dream while her body was in another place. Now, I'm just telling you that happened. And guess what? In the Salem witch trials, that evidence was accepted. Somebody stood up in court and said, that girl's spirit appeared to me in a dream, and she said she was a witch. I saw her spirit, and her body was not with her. She had an out-of-body experience. You understand why we call it a witch hunt? Because that is not evidence. What you feel and what you surmise and what you think is not evidence. Church, we wouldn't have had the problems that we've had in the last several years if people would approach us. And Frank, I don't think the Lord allowed me to preach this. I don't think we were ready. I think this is, this is a, another level of maturity for us as believers to understand the concept of what an opinion should be and on what it should be based. I want you to hang on. I, I'm, I, am, I am not going to do my best. I'm going to do my best not to say anything stupid because I have opinions too, and sometimes my opinions are not very good. And I can tell you this, any of my spirit, any of the words that I say tonight that are not based on the word of God, and I'm sure there will be plenty. I'm not going to do it on purpose, but if that is the case, you can flush it. 
Anything I say, any of my spirit attitude, it's not of God. If it's not based on the Bible, forget it. Dude, and I'm telling you, don't, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what, he ha- here's what happened. He continued, in the, and, and he wrote about this trial of George Burroughs. And he said in that book, he said, this man's guilty. He's the ringleader of ten other witches. And he said... There's a confession that five other witches have said he's a ringleader. And he said this, it refreshes the soul to know that this man is a ringleader. I was right. I was right after all. But as you go into it, there's a man that did some study of Mather's own diaries. and, And he believes that Mather was not quite as convinced of the righteousness of the trials as he put forth in that book. And there's a foreword to that manuscript of his diaries, and it says, he, Cotton Mather said this, I live by neighbors that force me to produce these undeserved lines. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. But the man's writing a book in which he's saying, I was right about the Salem witch trials, but he's saying, my neighbors forced me to do it. What does that mean? You know one of the reasons why we gossip? is because people like to hear gossip as much as we like to tell it. He's saying, neighbors told me that I need to put this in writing. And so I did. And over time, he was forced to bite his tongue. He was forced to, he became the, uh, uh, you know, the recipient of scorn. And, and this author described Cotton's later years as a time of intense regret and remorse about the trials. And he said in his diary, his diary paints a picture of a man, panicky, lest the Lord take revenge upon his family, for Mather is not appearing with vigor enough to stop the proceedings of the judges. He lived with a life of regret because of his involvement. Now, at the moment, in the time, he seemed very just, he seemed very right, and he seemed perfect. But later on, in retrospect, he looked back with regret. I wish I hadn't have done it. I don't know if you're like me, but I've rushed to judgment many times. I've rushed to judgment as a staff member here at this church. Pastor Sal helped me a lot. He would say, be careful. Don't rush to judgment. Don't just automatically assume the worst about people. You know why? I remember one time I told, I told Pastor Sal, I said, if you don't deal with this, I'm leaving the church. He didn't even blink. He didn't even respond. Why? He knew that it was nothing more than emotion. He knew it was just a shoot from the hip, quick take on what was going on. And I'm thankful for his grace. But I was wrong. We have to be careful. First of all, if you don't have an answer, and by the way, you've got to talk to people in order to get evidence. The best way to talk to somebody is to go directly to the source. And I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to help you. you now, if you listen, I'm going to, if you listen, I'm not just talking about what, what has happened in our church. I'm talking about in general, in general. If you don't have the courage to talk to the person that you're talking about, then your heart is really not right. If you don't have the courage to talk to the person that you're talking about, 
you're probably going to make a mistake. We call it a rush to judgment. We all do what's easiest. Water seeks its own level. Probably one of the things, if you could get this principle down in your life, a lot of times it's true, not 100%, but a great percentage of the time, doing the hard thing is the right thing. The right thing to do is often very difficult to do. In fact, if it's right to do, your flesh will tell you it's impossible to do. But it's not true. How do you, ta- how do you take care or how do you accomplish great projects? Number one, I tell my kids this. Number one, it is impossible. Number two, it's really difficult. Number three, it's done. How do you handle difficult conversations? Number one, it's impossible. Number two, it's really difficult. Number three, it's done. There's some of you listening tonight, you've shared with me difficult, courageous conversations that you've had. Confronting even sometimes people who uh, are wrong. And what have you done? Well, first of all, it's impossible. You can't do it. You just, and it can't be done. So I'm just going to not know. It's impossible. So you go ahead and do it because it's right to do. And then when you do it, it's not easy. Your body's shaking. Your, your, your heart is pounding. You think you're going to die. You're not going to die. And then it's done. And you can look back on that conversation and look back on that situation and say, by the grace of God, I did not what was easy. I did what was right. Sometimes doing right is hard. But if you don't have an answer, you really don't have to have an opinion. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse number, let's go back to Job chapter 32. When should you give your opinion? Well, don't give it if you don't have an answer. And remember, these men didn't have an answer, but they condemned Job. Number two, before you give your opinion... Wait until the smart people talk. Job chapter 32 introduces a young man named Elihu. And he is introduced abruptly into the narrative. We don't even know that he's there until he talks. And it says in verse number 4, Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken. Now it tells us in verse number 3 that the friends... We're talking that he was upset about what they said. And he was upset about what Job had said. But he had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder. Verse 5, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst. What does the word durst mean? Dared. Durst not show you mine opinion. That's the second use of the word opinion in the Bible. Verse 6. I was afraid. Why? Verse 7. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. You know what Elihu was exploring or or, or, um, exemplifying here, what he was showing? He was showing that he had wisdom. And he showed that wisdom by allowing the smart people to talk first. He was also a humble man. Why? We know he was humble. Because he said, these men should talk first because they're no doubt wiser than I am. If you are the smartest person in every room you go into, you are not a humble person. Now, how do you fix that? 
Well, you have to recognize that God resisteth the proud. It could be that you can't even get to the point where you feel humble because God's pushing you away. Well, I, I mean, I know, I'm not saying you graduated from high school. I don't know anything. You have, you're in kindergarten. You're smarter than me. That's not what I'm saying. It's rec- true wisdom and knowledge recognizes that everything it knows and, and, and understands has been given by God. It's a gift. Uh, listen, if, if someone gives me a gift, if someone, uh, let's just say one of you, some, you've been very kind. Some of you have given very, gifts, you know, uh, and, and, and I don't think you're over the top. I don't think, you know, anyone was trying to buy a friendship with me or whatever. But there's times that people have given me uh, a gift card, let's say. And they give me a gift card. I don't take the gift card out and say, I got a gift card, while people are walking by. Why? I'm not better because I have a gift card. It's a blessing that I've received this. It's a gift to me. I didn't have a gift card. And now I have a gift card. Why? Not because I'm better, but because they're kind. So if you're smarter than someone, recognize it as a gift from God. You're not better than that person. God has been good to you and given you opportunities to learn. George Washington Carver, why didn't he stop with 50 things that he found from the peanut? You know who else was studying peanuts? Not very many people. Why didn't he just stop? He's like, I'm way ahead with the peanut. They'll never catch up. He kept going and going and going. Why? He wasn't looking at everybody going, I know more about the peanut than you do. I don't know that anyone would say that. You know what? He wasn't looking at everybody else, what they knew about the peanut. I know so much about the peanut. You know nothing. Can you imagine what that would have been? He wasn't worried about what everybody else knew about the peanut. He was interested in the peanut. And he kept finding cool stuff. And George Washington Carver said, God showed me things that no man could have shown me about the peanut. Why? He wasn't interested in being better than everyone. He was interested in learning and humbling himself to know more. If you think you're smarter than everybody, you're not smart enough. Why? You know, the people who who say, I just want to know more, are the people who know more. If you've stopped being curious about life and the world in general, you're probably not very smart. You know the smartest people? People who are curious. They look, they study, they wonder. They don't just say, oh, I, you know, some of you, some of us, I say some of you, some of us, we're standing on facts we learned when we were 12. And nobody else knows what I know. Here's the thing. You're still 12 years old. It's time to move past See, that's the spirit that Elihu had. He said there are smarter people in the room. You know the reason why we gossip? Because we think our voice should be heard. We think we're smart. I mean, maybe this was not a good idea, Lord. I I asked. Maybe I'm not right with the Lord. He's not speaking to me anymore. Look what he says. Verse number 11. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons. He doesn't show up for 31 chapters. What was he doing? He was listening. Listening. I'm impatient. Are you impatient? I don't like waiting. Especially when I have a really cool thing that I could say that's better than what you're saying. 
He said, I gave ear to your reasons, and notice in verse 11, whilst ye searched out what to say. He watched them uncomfortably trying to figure out an answer. They never found one. He said, yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Here's one man sitting in front of four men, and he's saying nothing for 31 chapters. How long would it take? Well, it was seven days before the three even talked. And then when they talked, it was back and forth. A lot of it was listening to Job. And here Elihu sits, and he listens. You know, if you want to get good grades in school, you know what you should do? Listen! You know how you learn a book? You listen to it. It says something, and you're going, oh, okay. Oh, I, okay. I hear. How many of you are like me? You read your Bible, and you don't really read your Bible. So you've got to go back and read it again. It's like driving home without even knowing that you're driving. You pull into the, 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 you know, the driveway, you're like, whoa, that was scary. How did I get here? You read through the Bible, you don't even know. Some of us, we, our, our relationships, our conversations, if I were to quiz you after the conversation, what did you talk about? I don't even know. I don't know what I, what, what did you say? I don't know. What did she say? I don't know. But it just felt good to talk. Careful. Words are powerful. And what you say in jest, hello, me, I like jokes. What you say in passing, whatever, might actually find a place to take root in someone's heart. Look at verse number 16. When I, uh, I'm sorry. Um, yes, verse number 16. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. So before you give your opinion, Wait. Wait until smarter people than you have spoken. What will that do? I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll give you data to process. It'll give you the opportunity to consider things that you had not heard before. Every, all of us think that other people are like us. And that really works well as a framework for going through the world if you don't actually talk to anybody. But you'll bump into people that alter your omniscience. You think you know it all. You think you've got it all figured out. And you'll just, you know, Dr. Ruckman used to say, facts are stubborn things. You'll talk to this person. You'll have a conversation with someone. And they will say, no, what you said or what they said or what you thought is not right. This is the actual fact. Man, I've done this so many times in my life. You know, I grew up the way I did, uh, traveling around and, and being always the new kid and always... Uh, trying to make friends quickly, and uh, I, I, I got to the point where I, would, I thought I could size up a person very quickly. And maybe there was some discernment there, some, you know, it's like a guy working at a circus, he guesses people's weight and age and all that, and, and there, it's not just magic, he has ways, he has intuition, he has, you know, data that he's processing, but the problem with that is you can start thinking that because you got it right, three out of ten, that you're pretty good. What about the seven out of ten where you were wrong? How about this? Wait to get more data. Listen, I'm, I'm talking to you. If you're going to post you know, tonight on Instagram or Be Real or whatever, you're going to comment, 
be careful. Be careful. Listen to other people. You ought to take in a whole lot more from people than you give out. You ought to, you ought to listen to a lot more than you speak. This will help you in developing opinion. When someone says, what do you think? They're asking you, what's your opinion? Number one, you don't have to answer. Number two, you can say, well, I want to hear what you think first. How many of you have gone into a a fight with your spouse ill-prepared? I'm raising my hand. You go into it and you know, this is the way it is. You don't have the understanding that I do. Obviously, you're, you're not... You know, you're not quite there yet, but through this conversation, I want to help you. You didn't see it coming. Because your spouse had information and had a perspective, and by the end of it, you realize, wow, I was an idiot. You ever, you ever gotten upset at your boss and come in, I mean, guns blazing. This is ridiculous. It ought not to be. I can't believe it. And then they say, oh, well, that person's actually struggling with cancer. That's why they've been missing work so much. Oh, isn't that weird? Why? You talk to people with data. So before you jump online and you start blasting someone, or before you talk to someone and get, I know, I've heard, I know, wow. Mm, Something makes you wonder, makes you think. Before you go down that road, get data from the actual sources. Is this helping you tonight? Okay, good. Let's go to one more. Verse uh, 6. Here's here's the thought. Make sure your opinion fits with God's opinion. This is a a wonderful verse here. Let's let's look. He said, I was afraid in verse 6. I was afraid and durst not show you my opinion. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man. You know, the reason why we have an opinion is because we have a spirit. We make choices because we have a will. It was designed by God. Man has a spirit. And in that sense, he is inspired. That's what the word inspired means. Inspirited. In a sense, man is inspired. He is a creation of God. You can talk all day long to, to your dog or to your cockatiel and say, I don't know, what do you think about America today? And they're not going to say anything back to you other than, I want food, and I want to go outside and run. And I also want to tear up your house. Right? They don't don't have any inspiration. There is a spirit in man. And the reason why we're so enamored of our verbalizing our thoughts, the reason why we're so quick with our opinions, is because we are made in the image of God. We can look at a plant and say, that plant needs to be trimmed, it needs to be watered, it needs to be fertilized. We can look at a house and say, I can fix that house up. We can look at a a, a business and say, I can turn that business around and make it profitable. We can look at something that's broken in the car and, and we can get screwdrivers and get the tools out and we can fix the thing. We are made in the image of God. We are fixers. The problem with that is it's not enough. Man, because of the fall, is not... Without sin, he is not infallible. He said there is a spirit in man and is capable of understanding and getting some sense of the world. All men possess a spirit, but not watch the rest of the verse. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. 
When God places his spirit in man, the limitations of a man that he normally would have start to diminish according to as God sees fit. I am not capable in my spirit of understanding what God is capable of understanding with his spirit. God is not limited. He's not restricted. He can work within whomever he wants to. His voice is what inspired Balaam's donkey. It's what made that donkey able to speak. God can use inspiration however he wants. Is it not true that the the words that the donkey spoke are written in the Bible? They are, in a sense, the inspired words of God. But who's listening to that donkey without God? Nobody. Aren't you glad that when God wasn't moving that donkey to talk, it stopped talking? You and I sometimes are like the donkey. They won't shut up. God hasn't been talking through us for a long time, but we keep talking. There's a spirit in man. But the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. Look at chapter 33. Chapter 33, he continues talking. Elihu says, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue hath spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. How is that possible? The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. That's inspiration. By the way, verse 8 is only one of two mentions of the word inspiration in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 is the other one. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It doesn't say all Scripture is inspired by God, though it is. It is given by inspiration of God. People say, God breathed on the Bible. No, that's not true. God breathed out the Bible. The inspiration of the Almighty, the breath of the Almighty, is what gives men understanding. You have in your hands the King James Bible, which is the breath of God. It's a marvel. It's a miracle. And by the way, if you have a Bible and you don't believe that, you don't believe that, it's, that it is perfectly given by God, I feel, I feel badly for you. The inspiration of the Almighty. He says, God's the one that's giving me the ability to give, in verse number three, clear knowledge. The phrase here identifies the effects of God's spirit being in the man rather than the deficient spirit of man alone. It is the spirit of God inside Elihu that is allowing his spirit to speak to Job. It is a man with his spirit enlightened by God's spirit. Possessing God's spirit enables a man to receive and know things that he otherwise could not. Hold your place in Job and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're coming in on the landing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The things of God we see in this passage are the words of God. Scripture. 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? You know what that say? The things, the words, the feelings that you have, who knows them? You know them. I don't know how you feel. You know how you feel. You don't know how I feel. I know how I feel. I have a spirit, and I know what my spirit thinks or feels. Now, by the way, my spirit may be wrong. I'm supposed to try the spirits whether they have God. I can be affected by the devil and have fiery darts of the wicked in my mind all week long. And I say, well, I know what I feel. You know, it's like my, I told my mom years ago when I was a kid. I told her I was like four or five years old. My uterus hurts. And she said, now, how a young man like that, that young, even knows what a uterus is. I had a lot of sisters. I'll just say that. And she said, you don't have a uterus. And I said, I know what I have. <laughs> it's a lot of people today. I know the way I feel. I know what's going on in my heart. No, you don't. Not without the Spirit of God, you don't. You know how you feel right now, but you don't know how you should feel. And you don't know how to get out of how you're feeling right now. Be careful about, I know what I have. Some of you are looking at me really weird now. I don't, I, this was way before the trans thing. This was way before men can get pregnant. This was way before all that stuff, okay? So it wasn't even in the faintest recesses of my mind. I don't have a uterus, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> what knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. You don't know anything about God but what the spirit of God told you in his word. Be careful by saying, well, I just really feel like God wants me to do this and that. Sounds like a little of cotton mather to me. God appeared to me and told me A and B and C and D. You know, Joseph Smith got on that train too. Be careful. Well, God has shown me recently. Listen, we all say that. We all say that. But the only way you can prove that God told you anything is if it operates within the confines of the written word of God. And by the way, you don't have to say that God told you anything. It's very popular to do in our culture, in a Christian culture, but you don't have to. You don't have to. What you could do is you could quote the scripture. I was reading over there where God told me to. <laughs> right? Right? You say, well, that just sounds like heresy. You know what heresy is? I'm supposed to marry the girl named Grace because the Lord said, Grace be with you. <laughs> and so I just knew. Right? It's so cliched, it's, it's not even funny anymore. That's literally what people do. God told me A and God told me B. God didn't tell you anything unless it operates within the confines of the written word of God. Amen. And that will help you. You know what that means? You can relax. Well, I just started to determine if God wants me to go to this college or God wants me to get that job or wants me to buy that house. And I just don't know what he wants me to do. If he didn't write it down, maybe he doesn't care. Amen. God doesn't care if you buy the red car or the blue car. Now, there are principles in Scripture that will help guide you. If you don't have the money, Proverbs is chock full of verses that tell you, don't buy it. Simple. You don't have to divine that. You just got to read the words. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Amen? Are we having fun? I'm having fun. I don't know about you guys. Even without a uterus, I'm having fun. All right, verse number 12. Verse 12, forgive me, forgive me. Now, look at this. 
Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God is not trying to hide things from you in the Bible. He wants you to know what they are. He's given them to you. You know the reason why? There's a couple of reasons, lots of reasons, probably. One of the reasons is you're not reading your Bible, so you're not getting it. Another reason is you're not ready to handle it yet. You're not mature enough. God wants to balance out knowledge with action. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. He wants you to learn some and he wants you to do some. You want to sit around and click on YouTube all day and download the entire knowledge, wisdom of God? It's not going to happen. God's not going to give it to you. It puffs you up and it doesn't lift him up and it doesn't lift anybody else up. But God has given you the spirit, which is of God, because he has some free, not just entry level, you know, samples of the curriculum. He gave you the entire curriculum for free. And it's for you to read. He says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Are you with me? I know this may, if you're not careful, you're going to let this thing go into spiritual zone where you don't actually think it applies to you. It does apply. Which things also we speak, what should your opinion be based on? Notice verse number 13, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's the words of God. You should not go to someone and give your opinion unless you are convinced from multiple verses of Scripture that is what God said. You don't have to. I'm not just threatening you like, don't do it. I'm saying you don't have to do it, and you shouldn't do it. Unless you know for sure from the Bible, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, the Holy Ghost has taught you in his word, this is what God thinks. This is the mind of God. And here's my opinion. I'm going to speak what God speaks. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. So your opinion, my opinion, should sync with God's opinion. You know what that means? Give me a whole lot less opinions flying around. We're all going to come together and have the same opinion because we're all reading from the same book. Isn't that awesome? That's where the unity of the Spirit comes. Unity of the Spirit is not people avoiding one another. That's disunity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit is people reading from the same book, being taught by the same Holy Ghost, and coming to the same conclusion. It's awesome because you don't have to worry about people saying, well, I saw someone appear in my dream last night and their body was not with them. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Someone can say, well, I just feel God wants me to do A and B and C. And you can say, well, I mean, that may be true. I can't prove it otherwise. One thing I can prove is what he wrote down in black ink on white paper. I can prove that because it's right here. It makes it so easy. How many of you have had people say, well, I, I speak in tongues. My mom speaks in tongues all the time. And you sit there and you go, how do I argue what they do or don't do? How do I argue their experience? Here's a clue. You can't. You can't argue what someone thinks is right. You can't argue what someone has experienced. I can't. There's nothing I can say to convince you. Why do I believe there's a God? Because God said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Because he said over and over again, this saith the Lord. Why do I believe the Bible's true? Because the Bible said it's true. That's where I stand on the word of God. Well, that's circular reasoning. Yeah, and it works really good. It has never been disproven. You can use circular reasoning if what you're using is true. 
What I'm saying here tonight is that you don't have to worry about developing some hot take. All you have to do is read the words of Scripture and check your ego at the door before you start giving your opinion and say, I don't really know for sure on that, so I'm going to keep my mouth closed. Let me study about that in the Bible and see. You want to freak a, a gossip out? When they come and say, have you heard about so-and-so? What do you think? Well, here's what you say. I don't know if I should say anything until I've studied it out in the Bible. I can pretty much guarantee they're not going to come back to you again with gossip. It'll cut it off. He said great men are not always wise. Go back to, uh, hold your place, uh, I'm sorry, hold your place in Job, you were there. Ephesians 4 is where we're coming. But did you see that in Job 32, 9? Two more verses, we'll be done tonight. He said in verse 9, great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. Verse 10, therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show you, I also will show mine opinion. I'm not trying to scare you and say you don't have an opinion. We need men and women, women of wisdom and courage and boldness and patience to give their opinion. We need that. You need to give your opinion. What is your opinion? It's your choice. Based on the data that I've received, based on what the Holy Spirit of God has told me, this is my choice. Not this is my feeling. You can run from feelings. You can deny feelings. You can pretend you never had feelings. This is what I am choosing to say. It's harder to do, isn't it? I am choosing this option. Not Baal, but God. I'm going to give my dictate. I'm going to say my opinion, and I'm glad that Elihu did. You know what's amazing about Elihu? The Bible tells us that Job, that God said that these men have not spoken the right thing. These three friends. He never condemned Elihu. And Elihu was actually the opening act for the God of heaven himself. There was nothing in between Elihu and God speaking. Job didn't respond. Nobody else said anything. Elihu talked, and God took over the conversation. You know what God used Elihu to do? To set him up for a personal interaction with God himself. Your opinion, if you'll wait, and you'll humble yourself, and you'll listen to other people, and you'll read the Scripture to make sure that your opinion lines up with God, God will use you to bring others into a personal confrontation with God himself. What a blessing it is. You've all been very kind by listening so long. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's bow our heads in prayer.